This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne, Carnival, via rsn.net.au and the RSN Racing and Sport app. This program is also available as a podcast from late Wednesday evenings by going to the RSN website or SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts and searching for Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. Coming up on this week's show, we catch up with the Southern Saint who's been upgraded to the St Kilda EFLW list, Kate Shearlaw. Also on the way, we preview the Queensland Australian Football League Women's Grand Final with Laura Attard of the Bond University Bull Sharks and Ali Hampson of the Cooparoo Kings. Plus, we have our State Leagues wrap. We check in with Lauren Hodgson to find out what's happening in the AFL Sydney Women's Competition. Matthew Cox on the VFL Women's Competition. Plus scores from the WAFLW AFL Canberra First Grade Women's and Tasmanian State League Women's Competitions. But first First to our special guest from the Saints. Joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival. A woman who played in the AFLW with Carlton in the first two seasons of the competition. She ended up playing with Darabin last year in the VFLW before switching to the Southern Saints. It ended up being a smart move as she's been now signed to the Saints for AFLW 2020. It's great to have back on the line a woman we first spoke to when she was playing for Wimbledon in 2016. Her name is Kate Shearlaw. Kate, how are you? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Great to have you on the line. Now, I need to ask you straight up. We've seen the video of your partner, Emma, making the announcement at St Kilda that you've been given the AFLW contract for 2020. The most asked question was on social media, the hat. What's the story behind the hat and where did you get it? Oh, what a stitch. What a stitch up. Um, we had to wear the worst the worst clothes we could possibly find and that's... Um, that hat, uh, one from back in my Carlton days, my me and my mates, um, when we went after the season, we went to New Zealand and found that hat as a bit of a joke and I still have it, so that came out. <laughs> He's an absolute classic stitch-up. Well done to all involved. Let's take a rewind, though, back through time. As we were mentioning earlier, we last spoke to you uh, back in 2016. It was at that time the Wimbledon Hawks had uh, just put a video together of a snippet of your highlights playing in the AFL London Women's League. You were yet to be signed to an AFLW contract. Can you explain after that moment how did the, I guess, discussions happen with Carlton and, and you signing your first AFLW contract as a rookie? Uh, yeah, I was very lucky. Um, so I was friends with Lauren Spark, who now plays at the Bulldogs, and Carlton were talking to her about potentially picking her up in the draft, and she just mentioned that um, she had a tall teammate that Carlton should look at. So that's how it started, and they just they just watched some footage of me playing over there, and I'm lucky to be tall, so that kind of sets me apart um, for a rookie spot, I guess. So I was very lucky. Of course, at six foot one, six foot two, you were playing high level basketball in South Australia before going over to London, where you played that year in the AFL London Women's League. At that time, we spoke to you. Wimbledon had just won the Premiership, and your plans then were to be a tourist and essentially vacation throughout Europe. Is it a bit odd having to go through Europe at that stage, knowing that normally you drink and eat as much as you like, but you just signed a contract, so now you've got to be worried about being obviously in peak shape and ready to go for your first ever semi professional contract? Yeah, it was it was a bit strange, um, but I was with Barky for most of the last bit of my travel, so 
we we did it. I, I remember when when I got told it was happening. I was in a great in Greece in Mykonos and just sitting at a cafe and just chilling in the sun. So I was I still got to relax and enjoy myself and um, just had that in the back of my head, I guess. And, of course, you came to Australia. You had to settle into Melbourne. Of course, originally, as we mentioned earlier, you were from Adelaide. How did you find this step up playing? Uh, to be fair, it's more of a social league over there in the London competition. Going from that to going to not only a national competition, but you were training alongside and would be playing against those that were playing at the top level in state league football back here in Australia. Uh, yeah, it's huge. And that's probably what um, took me a while to sort of find my feet in Victoria playing. Um, I, when I walked into Carlton, it was a very intimidating environment. You got Darcy Bessier, Bree Davey, all these big names. Who are, I didn't know anyone from from over here playing footy, so it was very intimidating walking over there. But they're all they're all lovely. And um, once I started training and playing, I guess it's, it's taken me a couple of years to find my feet and get my confidence and feel like I actually belong. But um, yeah, that it's been, it's been challenging. The the step up is ginormous. The training loads and the running and all that sort of stuff is a lot higher but that's what it's all about I guess and I guess it, it can be in a way passing on advice because there'll be more rookies coming through that are cross coders or under 21 I guess your advice to them how often does it take to not only in a physical performance but also feeling comfortable in the environment getting used to being at that standard uh, when you come in fresh uh, yeah yeah it, it, it's all about the environment you're in if you're in a um, supportive sort of environment where people value value you and you get you get sort of recognized and valued for what you can bring then um that really helps and um yeah i, I guess most cross coders will be coming from a high level of sports so they're used to the training it's just a different it's just different and finding your feet in a in a new environment if you if you get the confidence in the um training in a new sport like footies are just different to a different to other sports especially the irish um, that they'll be they'll be fine coming over. Let's talk about the first game you played. You actually made your debut uh, in round two at uh, Princess Park uh, for Carlton versus the GWS Giants. You sat out game one, so you managed to sit back in the grandstand and see everything that happened. That huge lockout at Princess Park for that first ever game between Carlton and Collingwood. Um, did it make the sleepless nights? Did it make it a bit more restless for you going into not only your debut, but seeing all the excitement that was around the competition from that first game? Uh, yeah, so on the Thursday, I think it was the Thursday from memory, um, found out that I wasn't playing. So that was that was really disappointing, but understandable as well. So went from the highs of, you know, the weeks leading up to round one to then the low of missing out to then the back being a high again of... Um, being like the greatest night ever, um, back to having to do a running session at 8 a.m. the next morning, off not much sleep, and then try and get up for round two the next week. So it was a massive emotional roller coaster. But um, yeah, at that stage, I was just on cloud nine, being being involved in the in the AFLW at all. So can't complain at all. Well, you end up managing to play the rest of the season after that round two performance. How would you evaluate your first season and what was the initial feedback from season one on things that they thought you did well and that you needed to improve on after just one year in the system? Uh, yeah, I think they saw they saw what I could provide, I guess. Um, uh, yeah, I was on a steep learning curve, so each game I thought was getting better and better. And um yeah, I, th- I think I did okay for the first year, considering where I where I come from and you know the low base that I did start at. 
but yeah, that, that was the feedback I'd got leading into leading into the season two. Just um, keep getting fitter and stronger, and keep learning the game. Now, coming into the second season, you did play a bit less football with Carlton. Things changed. The dynamics changed. Uh, for example, uh, Taylor Harris came into the side, so therefore there was another tall marking forward. How do you react to that as a person? And, and many people are going to find the same challenge, particularly with the fresh under-18 talent that keeps coming into the competition when, OK, here's another person. They're a great person, but they play a similar role to you. And in a way, you're mates, but you're fighting for the same spot or role in a side. Yeah, well, I've, I value um, being a good teammate, so I'm not I'm not one who who looks at that sort of stuff in a really negative way. I I, I try to help my teammates. If if our team's doing really well, then I'm happy. If I'm not good enough to be on the field, then you know I'll keep working. But when Taylor when Taylor got announced, she's one of the one of the most dominant key forwards in the league, and um, I thought the tandem could be quite dangerous with with us and Darcy Becker, but it didn't work out. Didn't work out. So well, um, but you know we move on. So um, yeah, good luck to them at Carlton. It was it Sparky that led you to come to the Muggers because in between your two seasons at Carlton, the AFLW clubs were yet to uh, enter sides into the VFLW competition. It was still the community clubs. Was it Sparky the initial contact to say come play at the Muggers for a year? Yeah, definitely. There was a Sparky, and then another girl I knew in London came from the Muggers as well. So they would they would have killed me if I didn't play there. <laughs> And, of course, you managed to play for a season there, uh, played finals football as well. Um, how did you find that time under Andrew Jago? Uh, yeah, it was interesting. I, I got thrown around the field a bit, played defence, rock and forward, so just learning and getting as much footy under my belt as possible. Um, we had a lot of a lot of big names and um, points, point system and that all, all that, the drama that comes with the point system in the VFL. So it was an interesting season and we probably didn't do as well as we would have liked, but yeah. Then, of course, as we said, you, you played your second season with Carlton. Um, your contract was not renewed at the end of the season. What, what was the initial emotions going through that? Because we're all human. We can all react differently. For some, it's a case of it spurs people on. If they get dropped or cut, they go, well, you know, they want to you know, stick it up the people that dropped them and they want to go elsewhere and go harder and prove them wrong. For some people, there is times there can even be a little bit of depression. Um, there can be that case where you just want to sit on the couch and you just want to forget about things. How did you process that w- when you were told that you would not be renewed? Um, well, when I first got when I first got told, I was in the office with the people at Carlton Harford and all that, and um, I just I just burst into tears. So um, it was pretty. I was pretty emotional, but that was the initial. It came quite suddenly, so um, my initial reaction was pretty pretty sad. But then, what like there's no other way to. There's no other way to be than I wanted to prove to myself more than anyone else that I could that I could still belong at the level. So I had a lot of work a lot of work and improvement to do. So I just put my bum down, head down, bum up. Sorry, um, and just worked my ass off. And yeah, that's that's all really. Who were the first people that you turned to to get yourself back on track to to begin that road to get back to AFLW? Uh, I spoke to I spoke to a couple of people, a couple of my close friends, Meg McDonald, Darcy, M, and then I also spoke to Jane Jane Lang, who was I had a quite a good relationship with her from Carlton, and really respect her as a coach, um, and her opinions. So I spoke to her as well, and just sort of worked out what I really needed to work on. So obviously, I've got a lot to work on, but I 
really what I needed to focus on to make it to the next level. And um, that's probably where I started. You end up at the Darabin Falcons, a club with a history of success, uh, 10 premierships within 13 years. How did you find the culture there at a standalone club in the first year of the era where AFLW clubs had VFLW sides? Yeah, it was, it was a different um, different experience for most of the girls who have been at Darabin for years. But uh, a lot of my close mates were there, so and that was right around the corner from my house. And I, I just wanted to get back to enjoying footy, and I wanted to play under Jane. Um so I, I absolutely loved it, and it was really good for, my, for me mentally and for my footy. Now, if I'm correct, um, I believe that, of course, you're playing with the Southern Saints now, but I believe in the first year you were actually playing at Darabin, there was an initial phone call from the Southern Saints to see if you would be interested in coming down to training out at Seaford. Yeah, I had a call from Pete um, back just before I got delisted from Carlton asking me to come play there, but at that stage I just... I was still trying to stay on Carlton's list and play my VFL there. And um, when I did get delisted, I just I tossed up between Darabin and Saints, and I decided to to go Darabin just from what I said earlier, like close to home and my re- my really good friends. So just to enjoy my footy um, and hope to get picked up last year, which didn't obviously didn't eventuate. As you mentioned, you didn't get picked up. Um... Is that at that stage? Was that another phone call from Pete Searle once the draft had passed by in October? Did she make secondary contact then to say, "Come on, come to us. This could be your shot." Oh, I actually sent her a cheeky message because they had lost that lost Ree and Courtney Martin to to the draft. So I I sent her a cheeky message about needing a tool, and then the phone call went the phone calls went from there. So yeah. What's it like being under Pete Searle? We talk about her in high praise for the five premierships that she's won at Darabin. The assistant coaching, she's done at Tac Cup level with the Western Jets and at the VFL in Port Melbourne. Of course, she was coaching men in a development role at St Kilda. Can you explain what it's like to be under the tutelage of Peter Searle? Yeah, uh, I'm loving it. Um, she's she's like, um, I, I'd probably explain it to be similar to your mother. Like, you tried, yeah, they're hard on you, but you also, and you sort of, you just want to make them proud and make do do what they tell you to do and do the right thing. Um, yeah, she's she's she knows when to be tough, but then also um, is just teaching teaching the girls a lot, which is something that I haven't found too much in women's footy yet. Like, um, yeah, it's just the real tutelage and coaching that that she's providing. I think that really sets her apart. There's a different philosophy that she brings to the game. We were chatting with her during the uh, pre-game show before your match against um, Hawthorne because we saw that you had the number zero on your back when you played against Essendon, which would have indicated you were captain for the day as part of the TAC Cup towards zero round. But she actually explained that she didn't actually have a captain for the Southern Saints this year, trying a new philosophy that there would be no captain. I guess everyone taking on equal leadership. Can you explain uh, from the players' view what um, your thinking is behind that and and how and how you would go about, I guess, leadership groups and all of that structure without a traditional captain? Yeah, so she she um, spoke to us about it at the start of pre-season, just the thought of not necessarily having the... Um, you know, top to bottom approach of leadership. So she she thought and through um, training and uh, leadership sort of tutelage that she'd had that um, women respond better to um, just not a hierarchical system. So more just spread out and different people respond differently. So 
um, that players voted on a group and we've got a group of five of us that sort of lead the group differently each week. We've all got different strengths, so I'm not the best at pre-game speeches, so I'll leave that to someone else and then try and lead in another way. So um, I think it's working really well. How would you rate your performance against Essendon? We were raving about it. Three goals in that game helped turn the momentum when it looked like Essendon were going to run away with that game. One thing that we noticed, which was probably a bit different to when you were playing in the AFLW, where you'd be a traditional lead-up forward, you were coming further up the ground, doing more ruck work. There was better second and third efforts. How would you rate that game, which I think, if I recall correctly, you actually named best on ground? Oh, yeah, it's probably one of my best overall games, I guess. Um just able to be involved in the game more and stand up probably when the team needed. Um, I think that's just it's just coming from confidence. Um, yeah, Pete's just given me given me great confidence, and I've got more belief in myself and fitter and stronger. And another year of like solid preseason footy, I've been able to get a solid base of training and um, yeah, like taking shots at goal that I probably would normally handle, and just taking a responsibility on is helping. I think. Like you said, you're getting that better confidence. Is, is that a mental aspect? Is, is Pete just able to push the right buttons with you? Is it trying to push you physically? What is that to try and get that better performance out of you? Uh, yeah, I think it's oh, she's just got a good balance of challenging and rewarding. I think rewarding the right things and not just not just looking at stats and that sort of stuff. But you know, you're getting to the right spot. So you, are you let, you know defensively? Are you doing your job and playing your role and that sort of stuff? And she's rewarding rewarding people for playing their roles and then that gives you that gives you great confidence because I know after the Casey game I, I felt like I didn't have that much of an impact but when when I did do my review she she went through and showed me all these all the spots when I was in the right spot and did all the little things and that sort of stuff so then leading into Essendon I was probably in a better headspace than I would have been if I hadn't have had that of course, we had the game which we called at Sandringham on Sunday. It's yourself versus the reigning premiers. I know the coach's cliche of one week at a time or some even go five minutes at a time. But what does it mean to the group to have a win over the reigning premiers and the added bonus that coming into the finals, as of the moment, you sit top of the table? Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty special. Um, we really rate Hawthorne and we knew it was going to be a really tough tough physical game. They, they play really contested physical footy. So if we could match them with that, we thought we'd be all right, get them on the outside and get momentum on the scoreboard. Um, so, yeah, once we once we got that going, it was really, really um, quite a nice win in the end. I, we, we've been able to play some good footy against um, some of the best teams. So giving us more confidence, I think. It's strange to say that you're a veteran of the side, but you're one of the older players at 30. What do you think it means for the group? Because you're a very young group, a lot of 20, 21, 22-year-olds in that team. For them to be able to have this finals experience before stepping up to the AFLW level next year. Yeah, I'm definitely one of the veterans in the team. Um, it's a very young team, but um, I, I guess I guess they're just playing footy and Pete's coaching them as footy players. It doesn't matter what their age is and giving them the, the license to, to just play their game and play to their strengths. And that's, if everyone's playing playing their roles and playing to their strengths, then I think we'll be, we'll be pretty tough to beat. And then um, leading into AFLW, that obviously gives the group a bit more confidence and that we can compete against. Because the Melbourne Unis, the um, Bulldogs and all these sort of teams are pretty stacked with AFLW talent at the moment and we're right up there. So it gives the group... Gives the group a lot of confidence. 
One thing I do actually want to ask you about, um, as you've hit 30, and, and footballers, male or female, I have to think about it once they hit 30, they could have two, five, ten more years in the game, whatever. But at, at some stage, retirement comes at the top level. Uh, what are you looking forward to post-football to career? Do you see a future in the game? Uh, yeah, I'd like to. I'm not really sure what, it looks like, what that would look like at the moment. I'm just concentrating on trying to get better and play, play hopefully a couple of years of of decent footy and um, see where see where it takes me. I, I really don't know at this stage. And one final question before I let you go, and I've asked everyone this who plays at the top level, what does it mean to you personally? If you sit down at the computer, you go to Google, you type in your name, and it says Kate Shearlaw, AFL women's footballer. Oh, it's pretty 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 silly, really. It's pretty ridiculous. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, crazy to think, like, Five years ago, I was playing basketball and had always wanted to play footy, so um, but never had the opportunity. Um, yeah, so it's really cool to be able to, to do that. And then watching all the young the young kids come in is probably the most special part to me. The young the young kids are they get to grow up playing footy and they're they're just so good. And the league's going to be insanely good in even this year heading forward the next five years. Once I'm gone and the other girls my age, the young the young kids are just going to take over. And it's going to be very exciting. Well, Kate, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. We wish you all the very best with the Saints throughout the VFLW final series. And then in just a handful of months, when you run around in the AFL women's competition. No worries. Thanks so much for having me. And again, we thank Kate very much for her time and wish her all the very best in AFLW 2020. Our preview of the Queensland Australian Football League Women's Grand Final coming up right after this on RSN Carnival. There's jumpers, hoodies, and tees for you at leagetees.com.au. Leagetees.com.au is your place for retro footy gear with designs created by local artists that you won't find anywhere else. Plus, their unique range of women's footy tees help raise funds for Indigenous literacy programs. Get online and start shopping today. Leagetees.com.au. You're listening to RSN Carnival and Women's Australian Rules Football. I'm Peter Holton. Thanks for your company. This Sunday, 3pm at Leishon Park, we'll see the 2019 Queensland Australian Football League Women's Grand Final. It'll be battled out between the minor premiers, Bond University Bull Sharks and the fourth-placed Cooperoo Kings. Cooperoo knocking off Maroochydore in week one and then last week at the preliminary final coming from behind again to defeat Yoronga South Brisbane 8-8-56 to 6-4. 40. To preview the grand final, we'll soon be hearing from Ali Hampson. She's been signed to the Gold Coast Suns for AFLW 2020. She'll be running around for the Cooper Root Kings this weekend. But first, a former Diamond Creek footballer, now Bond University Bullshark, Laura Attard. And joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival, a former president of the Diamond Creek Women's Football Club. She's played many years for the Creekers, but now she finds herself in southeast Queensland playing for the Bond University Bull Sharks as they play in the QAFLW Grand Final against Cooperoo at Leishon Park. It's great to have on the line Laura Attard. Laura, how are you? I'm really well, thanks, Pete. How are you? Not too bad at all. How are you finding life up in southeast Queensland? Oh, look, I'm absolutely loving it. It's been an absolutely beautiful year up here. Um, I tell you what, there's a there's a stark difference between playing a winter 
season of footy in Melbourne versus a winter season of footy up in Queensland. I think we averaged about 22 degrees every round. And uh, I think I was unlucky enough to get rain once this, this year against Astley. But apart from that, it's been absolutely beautiful footy. So you're saying you don't miss the uh, mud and slush of uh, Plenty Park up in Diamond Creek? No, although since the ground redevelopment, it was absolutely beautiful at uh, Diamond Creek. But definitely don't miss the rain, don't miss the hail, um, and don't miss the cold nights of training, that's for sure. Now, you actually moved up uh, to Queensland a little earlier, just before your wife, Tiana, did. Um, how did you find your first pre-season up in Queensland compared to the standard you're used to in Victoria? Yeah, look, Bond was, was super professional, and I think that's probably the thing that drew me to the club. Uh, they're really well resourced, and David Ashgar, who's the, the director of footy there um, and oversees both the men's and the women's program, was also coaching the the Suns um, Summer Academy at the time as well. Uh, and so, you know, he was a really impressive guy to speak to, and really keen to get me to the club. And uh, you know, they just they just accepted me with open arms there. And as I said, really professional uh, uh, club from the get go. And strength and conditioning staff that worked with us all through the summer as well. So it was a really exciting vibe there and, and definitely what attracted me to the club. We talk about the differences in football compared to, say, for example, Victoria to WA, and, it, and everyone reckons the Queensland model is a bit similar to the WA model, more faster outside running football compared to uh, pressure acts and enclosed football in Victoria. Do you notice that or any other differences between the Victorian and Queensland style of footy? Yeah, there's certainly some differences. Uh, I'd, I'd like to think that uh, Tiana and myself brought a little bit of that inside play uh, to Bond University this year. I think uh, uh, one of the first comments that Shane Atkins made after the first game was, I've never seen somebody lay so many blocks and shepherds. So, um, you know, that, certainly that outside running style of play is the way that they play up here. We've, we've got a really young team at Bond as well. So that, that leg speed on the outside is fantastic. But it's certainly a different style of footy. Um, and we also play, um, you know, it's a different different setup to the State League in Victoria where there's 18 aside. We've got 16 on the field. So I think that, you know, similar model to the AFLW allows just for a bit more space and a bit more run of the footy. And how have you found the transition into a new club? As much as you were a natural leader and veteran at Diamond Creek for being there for so many years, how have you found it being the new person that comes in, but with so much experience behind you, they obviously look to you naturally for leadership? Yeah, look, it was a little bit nerve-wracking at the start, just uh, being a completely new face and really not knowing anyone. I think in Victoria, you could go to any club and you're really going to know somebody. So... Um, I didn't know anyone at Bond when I got there. Um, but as I said, the way that they welcomed me in um, really just made that transition really easy. So um, I was lucky enough to, to be able to come up a bit earlier than Tiana and be involved in their pre-season, which led to uh, Shane and Dave appointing me into the leadership group. So um, having that respect, and, and it was actually a, a player-voted team that we did for our leadership group. And, and to speak to Shane afterwards and say that, you know, that every single girl had my name on that poll um, was was just a, a fantastic, uh, I, I suppose, recognition of the fact that they appreciated my leadership that I was bringing. So I was really humbled by that. Um, and that probably just opened that door a little bit to, to just be able to share my experience. And as I said, really young group. Um, I've loved coaching over the last few years, being involved at the Eastern Rangers as a mentor and then coaching the School Sport Victoria Team Vic development squad. Um, you know, I completed my level two coaching last year. So 
that's certainly the direction that I want to head in. And, and Dave Ashgar was really, uh, you know, really supportive in continuing to develop that area of my game as well. So um, I was given the role of, of doing our match reviews this year and cutting up all of our footage. So as I said, you know, the opportunities were just thrown at me when I went to Bond and, um, and I just really embraced it, to be honest. It's been a sensational year for the Bull Sharks, not only the first finals campaign, but finishing top of the table, minor premiers. Um, internally, what did the Bull Sharks put it down to for having such a sensational year? Oh, look, we had we had leading teams come in at the start of the year, which I think has, has made a difference to the squad. But also, I think, you know, we were really lucky with the way that we recruited. Obviously, Tiana and I have come up from Victoria. We had Shannon Danker that's moved from Victoria as well. And we actually had uh, little Jazz and, and Meg that have come up um, through the TAC program as well. So, you know, a few Victorians made the move. Um, you know, we had some girls come back from injury uh, from the previous season as well. I don't think Molly Ritson had played much footy in the prior uh, 12 months, and she's been a fantastic captain for the club. But just finding that balance, really getting to know each other, we really we put a lot of emphasis on making sure that we got to know every single person on the squad um, and, and mixing up those conversations and who we work with at training. So um, it's just a really it's just a really holistic club, and and uh, the vibe is fantastic. And I think there's a lot of trust, um, and there's a lot of respect amongst the group as well. Looking back at the last couple of games, first of all, to the final home and away game when you took on the side that you'll be playing in the grand final, Cooper Roo. They actually did get the win in that game by three points. But do you put that down to perhaps both sides having a different mindset? For them, it was survival. They had to win to get in. For yourselves, because you were top of the table, it was probably more a case of just get through it, make sure there's no injuries, bigger fish to fry next week. Yeah, look, I think we were certainly out for the win. I mean, we, we wanted to finish our season on a high uh, going into finals. But at the same time, I, as you say, I think that mentality made a big difference because really it was the start of the game where they got the jump on us. And I think that that was that do-or-die attitude that they had. Their result was going to come down to the wire. And I think it was between Cooper and UQ. And it was a really dependent on the result and, and also percentage as to whether or not they'd make it. Um so the fact that they got that jump on us, we obviously came back and, and it was really great for our group to be able to show that resilience and, and bring the scoreline back because uh, I think they got out to about a four-goal lead at one point. So, um, you know, there were, there were really great learnings for us to take out of that game. Obviously not the result that we wanted, but um, it, it didn't damage us going into finals, that's for sure. Certainly did not because you switched it on in the major semi-final for the right to go straight through to the grand final. Uh, you had a walloping win over Yoronka South Brisbane, 10-8-68 to just the two goals. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as I said there, those I think those learnings that we got out of that Cooper game, um, you know, that mentality that you have to go into the game with, it, it really does make a big difference. You've got to set the tone. You've got to set the intent. Um, so, look, I think... We, we switched at the right time. Um, we knew that we had it in us, I guess. Um, and, and if we believed in our structures and our systems that, that we could make it happen. And, you know, some of the young girls just absolutely shone on the day. And, and Taylor Smith was certainly one of those up forward, um, the way that she presented. And I think by far Lauren Bell was best game of the season. So, you know, the girls are on song at the right time of the year. And, and hopefully we can carry that momentum into this weekend. How have you approached the week off coming into the grand final? Well, personally, very well because uh, you know the thirty-three-year-old body is uh, is enjoying the rest. 
Um, but the young girls are, are, have, yeah, really probably had, you know, quite itchy feet around it. Um, you know, they, they like getting out there every week. So, look, we had a training session on Sunday um, just to keep things sort of bubbling along. And, um, and I think that was great for the group as well, just to come together again and still have that routine of, of being at the club on, on the weekends, um, you know, and, and just being able to get out there and, and making sure that we weren't sort of uh, thinking too much over the weekend and, and being by ourselves. And, um, yeah, it's, it's been great. I think the girls that have needed a week off have, have taken the most out of it and, and the girls that uh, are getting a little bit excited, um, we've, we've been able to sort of, yeah, get around them and, and help them through that. As much as you're both very young sides, Cooper in the past have been in a number of grand finals and won a number of QAFLW premierships. So because it's the Bull Sharks' first time there at the big dances, there's been much talked about how to manage that nervous energy and, uh, um, you know, and what could be, you know, to be honest, a nervous start coming into a grand final. Yeah, look, we've, we haven't focused too much on that. I think it's just been about focusing on what we've done all year um, and and maintaining the belief in in, in what we've do, what we've been doing and what we've been building to. So um, it's really been about keeping a lid on it all year. So I think you know there's a couple that have, that might be bubbling over a little bit, and the leadership group are getting around them personally. But as a whole, as a collective, um, it's it's just about maintaining what we've been doing all season um, and and believing in the coaches and believing in the structures that we've got. So um, the overall. Uh, despite the fact that we are quite a young group, most of the girls are, are really level-headed about it this weekend. And obviously, you know, it's across the board because our development girls are playing in the grand final as well. So we've got a full squad of girls, really, that uh, that get to play in the big dance this weekend. And, and it's just a fantastic feeling down there. From your point of view, who's hit form at the right time for the Bull Sharks? Oh, look, as I said, Lauren Baller last weekend was just instrumental in... in uh, in getting us those centre taps and the around the ground around the ground clearance um, work that she did, her her attack on the footy and and her follow up work for, for such a tall girl to, to be chased down tackling, I think uh, I think she's taken a leaf out of Tiana's book in that one. So, um, but yeah, Serene Watson coming back. You know, obviously we had a, a lot of girls at the under eighteen national carnival as well. So Serene and, and Taylor to come back into the side, they've really hit some form. Young Wallace Randall off the half back line, she's been phenomenal. Um, you know, just to see the the way that the girls come out of the talent system now um, makes me a little bit jealous that there wasn't those pathways back when I was coming through. But it's fantastic to see that they have that ability to build that confidence and that skill level in themselves at such a young age. Um, and then, you know, uh, I, I don't know, across the border, I, I think I could talk of, to, to all of the girls really. Um, I think Lulu Puller has been one that been fantastic as well. She's come from um, from W League, um, sort of was on the, the raw list and, and she's a cross-coder that just really has embraced it and uh, is loving life. And as I said, probably the last one to mention is Shannon Dankert, who has come from Vic, um, Southeast Gippsland girl and uh, a netball background and, and she's in the midfield for us and she just is a goer. So um, I think everyone's hitting form at the right time, to be perfectly honest. And finally, for yourself, Laura, um, you've had a, a great career. You won a premiership in 2012 with the Creekers, played in a number of grand finals, uh, played two years for Carlton at the AFLW level. Where would this sit for you personally if you were to win on Sunday and claim a premiership with Bond University? Oh, 
Oh, look, it, it means a hell of a lot. I mean, obviously, I, I invested a, so many years at Diamond Creek and, and they they really are my home and I love them dearly. And, um, you know, I'll actually be going back to their presentation night this year um, to present the next Life Member Award. But to, to come up here and to be embraced by this club the way that Tiana and I have been and to be able to uh, invest in it the way that we have, um, it, it would just be amazing. Uh, and personally as well on a, on a personal level, to be able to play alongside Tiana in a grand final, you know, we're super excited and to be able to have that memory down the track, hopefully to be able to share with our kids one day would be fantastic. And, and this is her home state as well and we'll have her family up here um, a few aunties and cousins coming to watch. So it really is a special feeling and, and it'd be absolutely fantastic to take her in the cup this weekend. Well, Laura, thanks very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. We wish you and the Bull Sharks all the very best as you take on Cooper Rood this Sunday, 3pm at Leishon Park in the QAFLW Grand Final. Thanks, Peter. And joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnivals, we look ahead to the QAFLW Grand Final this Sunday afternoon at Leishon Park. Bond University versus Cooparoo. Joining us on the line is one of the young stars of the Cooparoo Kings. She'll be playing for the Gold Coast Suns in the AFLW next year. It's great to have on the line Ali Hampson. Ali, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Not too bad at all. I do have to ask, how are the nerves feeling as you count down the sleeps to the big game this Sunday? Oh, I haven't stopped talking about it since Saturday with all the girls. Um, the nerves are through the roof, but um, not good, not bad nerves. They're good nerves. Just so excited to get started and can't wait. How are you finding life down on the Gold Coast? Because I believe you're actually originally from Townsville. Yeah, yeah. So I just fly in and out. Um, this week I'm staying to hopefully get some ground on my feet before instead of flying in the two days before, um, just because it is such a big game and I really want to make sure we can do our best to succeed so taking a little break off school just to try and get my feet down here and really settle and hit two training sessions before the big game on the weekend. We need to talk about footy up in North Queensland for a moment because the competitions have actually been around for quite a while both in Cairns and in Townsville. How have you found adjusting from the pace of the game up in Townsville to playing at the state league level down in the southeast? Uh, It was a crazy change but something I was really excited for um, obviously changes from really social footy to very competitive footy with um, obviously stars um, in the teams, um, AFLW players, bigger bodies, um, more athletic bodies, I guess, and people that are not just there for a bit of a kick and giggle, whereas up north it's really just enjoying your footy and hanging out with your mates kind of thing. But it's really, really enjoyable up there and it's just as enjoyable down here. It's just a little bit more competitive. You've said about staying up in North and flying down to play for, for Cooparoo. How have you managed to balance that, obviously not training as often as you'd probably like with your teammates, trying to keep up your own personal level of training and fitness to make sure that you're ready to go, not only state league level, but obviously next year when you go to AFLW? Um, yeah, I've had a lot of support in that sense. So when I go back, I do a lot of training on my own, but I also have my family up there. So my stepdad and my brothers will usually come down and have a kick with me and push me while I'm doing my running sessions because, you know, you always got to beat your siblings. So make sure I beat my brothers there. And then when I come down, uh, the Kings are always so good um, just to come. And they're just such a welcoming community. And I just love being a part of the Kings and the Suns are just as good. They've been in touch with me constantly, making sure my gym programs are up to date if I need any running sessions. And if when I'm down, they always try and catch up with me. It's just I've got a lot of support behind me, so it makes everything a lot easier. 
Let's talk about the finals campaign for the Kings because it's really been an extended finals campaign. Heading into that final round of the home and away season, you actually had the UQ Red Lions and Kulangata Tweed both breathing down your neck that if you'd lost the last game of the season, they could have snuck in and took your spot. You had a heck of a challenge, actually. You had to beat Bond University, who you're playing in the grand final. You had to beat them in the final round, and you did so. Yeah, yeah. So, unfortunately, Tani White and I were out um, for that Bond game. We were in a camp down in Melbourne, so we were biting our nails down there, waiting for the live scores to come through. But um, we obviously had a lot of faith in our team, and we knew we were in good form. And just from being at the training sessions and the games prior to that, we knew how much the girls wanted it. So, um, we were pretty confident that our team could do it, um, even though it was a very tough position to be in. Um, it was it was now biting, but it was good to see us come out on top in the other end. So you go to week one of the finals. Um, you're having to take the long road since you finished fourth, having to try and win a semi-final preliminary final to get to the grand final. You played Maruchidor away. It was their first ever finals appearance. And you actually found yourselves down at half time. What was said amongst the group in the rooms for that second half turnaround to begin? Um, look, our coach, Maka, had a great pump-up speech. Um, Sal, the captain really got all the girls together and just really emphasised the, the aspect of family within our team and just being there for each other and working for each other instead of giving up. Like, we really just wanted to do it for each other. We had no other reasons. We had heaps of support behind us. All the boys and all the dev girls were there watching on the live stream. Like, plenty of support behind us and we just didn't want to let our Kings family down. So we just pushed through and unleashed the a side that we hadn't seen before um, in the first two quarters and then the second two quarters, we just built from that and really, really worked well together. So you come to the preliminary final taking on a rival in Yoronga, South Brisbane, and like split ends one sung, history never repeats. Well, it actually did because at halftime, you were down again, 2-3-15 to four behind. How difficult is it to go to the well, not once, but go a second time where you're down at halftime and you've got to pull one out of the fire? Yeah, the um, the change room was very intense at halftime. I'm, I'm sure of that one. Um, it was a lot of mixed emotions, but I think deep down in all of our hearts, I know especially in mine, I knew we could do it. Um, especially from the week before coming out and having the second half we did, I knew that if we just all reset our mindsets and the coach chat we had and Sam, one of the presidents, came in and we just had a chat, again, about family. Everyone just wanted to do it for each other and didn't want to let each other down and I think, again, we just came out and knew that it wasn't the end of the road for us and we had so much more to bring. Um, and I know personally, like, I went out in that second half ready to ready to do anything for my team and I know heaps of the other girls were ready to do the same. So that's, again, how we pushed through, I guess. When you're down and when you've got a rally and the, after the coaches had to say whatever they've had to say at half time, you come out to the ground just before the bounce starts for the third quarter. There's the last minute huddle where everyone gets together and you've got to say a few words. Who's, who's the most vocal in that group? Who are the most vocal players that speak up to say, right, we've got to pull a finger out. We've got to go now. Um, we have so many personalities throughout our team. So I think it chops and changes, but... Um I know Amazilki is really good um, in the midfield and taking us younger girls in and really um, getting us up. And same with Sally Young. Um, just a lot of the senior players really kind of take the younger players under the wing and just say, come on, girls, like it's time to go. And then they really push us younger players. Um, and I think that their focus is because they know we have so much to give. All they need to do is nudge us and then 
when once they nudge us, we can just keep going. Whereas they obviously have that experience themselves where they know how to push through and they know what mindset to get in. Whereas they're just trying to really focus on pushing the younger the younger girls through and really showing us how to fight to win a game. Let's talk about that. The the, the more veterans in the side and, and the younger players you mentioned, Sally Young, Emma Zilke, also Jess Wuchner there as well. What's it like to have that experience quality in your side guiding the way? Well, I was the cop snack when I was asked to be a part of the Kings because I knew how much talent they had in it. Um, and now being a part of it, it's just so great to yeah play amongst the Jess Wuchners, the M Zilks, Paige Parkers. Like it, it's crazy to to be there and. You know, um, Pity Emma Pittman, who's unfortunately injured, like even to have her um, as the support on the sideline, running the pretty much running the midfield and really just helping us all out. There's just so much experience and um, talent throughout the team that you just you never feel lost and you never feel alone. So that's that's probably my favourite thing about the Kings is that you never you're never alone. And not just at AFLW level, but also for Queensland State women's football. How does it feel to be playing amongst a generation of players such as Tani White, Jesse Wardlaw, uh, Tori Graves Little, and of course yourself, that younger generation, 18, 19, 20 years old, that are going to be guiding Queensland women's football for the next 10, perhaps 15 or more years? Yeah, I'm so privileged and so happy to be a part of it. Like I've loved every second I've played with these girls, especially my under-18 girls and through the last two years, I've met so many good friends along the way and um, seeing everyone achieve so much and really excelling in their footy just makes me so happy and um, brings that competitive edge within each other and it really keeps all our friendships going and that that's what footy's here for. I've just made some friendships that I know will never end and I'm just so happy to be a part um, of such a talented group and, yeah, I'm excited to see how far we can all get. As we come into the grand final, in your opinion, outside the non-AFLW listed players, who's really starting to get form at the right time? Who's probably some of the names that we haven't really been talking about but are really putting in a solid effort as you come to the important end of the season? Uh, yeah, I find it hard to pick um, our individuals. I just think our whole team's really good, but obviously like the likes of Sally Young, um, Hannah, Coming through, Talia Hickey, um, one of the another eighteens. Obviously, she's also achieving well. But um, all those type of girls, Mary Ross, really all the girls. I just I don't think watching back all the footage, I can't sit there and say that no one gave up and no one played a bad game of footy. I think everyone was in form, and that's how we are coming back because our second halves are just so in form and we're working so well together. So I just I, I think that everyone in the Kings is doing well, and there, there's no singles that can carry the team it's it's a team as a whole so what's the plan for the rest of the week uh, post wednesday um how many more training sessions are you expecting during the week and is it a case of everyone getting together and heading down to the ground together or just uh, coming in your own individual ways as you normally would during the season um what's the approach like as you build up to the grand final um we are all like chatting about um trainings and things like that but we have a meeting tonight um at training and I'm pretty sure that's where they're going to um, talk about all that kind of stuff but I know they do want us to focus on the footy side and the club will take care of the rest of it so um, we're all going to try and keep our week as free as possible for team bonding and things like that but our team's just so strong we do that on our own anyway so um, I think that we'll just continue our routine as usual and then add in a couple of little banner making things things like that and anybody wants to go grab brekkie they usually do it before the games on games days and might have a dinner on the saturday night not really sure but um i'm sure 
something will happen because the King's family always hangs out together anyway, so... And finally, before I let you go, obviously you've got many more memories to make when you do eventually run around for the Gold Coast Suns and the AFLW competition. But what would it mean for you personally prior to entering the AFLW if you were to win a premiership with the Cooparoo Kings? Oh, it would it'd be a dream come true, to be honest. Uh, first season, Cockle, first season with the Kings. Um, I couldn't think of any better way to go out and finish the season because like, we haven't fought this hard just to stop here. All I know is that every girl in our team, every woman in our team is is ready to go and we're all we're all sure we want one and for the girls that have been here for the past two years they're they're hungrier than ever I think. Um and we're all ready to do this for each other. So I'm super excited for a really, really good game, really competitive game on Sunday. But Ali, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. We wish you and the Cooparoo Kings all the very best as you take on the Bond University Bull Sharks this Sunday, 3pm at Leishon Park in the QAFLW Grand Final. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So get on down to Leishon Park, 3pm this Sunday for the Queensland Australian Football League Women's Grand Final. If you want to catch the stream, just go to aflq.com.au on Sunday for all the details. Let's do our State League's wrap. First of all, we're going to do a quick skip across the Northern Hemisphere for an international footy score check. Uh, the AFL Ontario Women's Competition Round 11 was played over the weekend. Edipico Kangaroos 27-127 thrashed High Park Demons 2 the final round of the home and away season is this weekend. Both games on Saturday, 24th of August. A 9am start for the Central Blues versus High Park Demons game. While at 5pm, the Epico Kangaroos play the Ottawa Swans. The AFL Quebec women's competition, a round robin for round nine with the Plateau Eagles, Montreal City Bluebells and Notre Dame de Grace Giants all playing against each other this Sunday, 25th of August. OK, skip back home. Let's find out what's happening in the West Australian Football League women's competition. Round 14 was played on the weekend. Subiaco 8-5-53 defeated Claremont just the four behinds, while Swan Districts 11-9-75 had a big win over Peel Thunder 1-1-7. Here's Swan Districts coach Cara Dunallen. A really rough start. Um, there was quite a, a big breeze, probably a four-goal breeze, and um, to Peel's credit, they put the pressure on and the heat on us early and didn't allow us enough time and space to get our hands on the footy and get clean ball uh, inside to our forwards. Um, but to our girls' credit, they came out in the second and, and really, I suppose, built something really strong and the momentum just grew as the game went on and um, ended up running out victor, victors by about 11 goals. I think Peel kicked their only goal in the last quarter, which was a credit to our whole team and uh, everyone buying into to what, what we needed to do and, and how we needed to do it. Um, a few special mentions, uh, Mim Strom uh, in the ruck and then went down forward in the, in the last quarter and kicked a couple was fantastic and really good for us um, in providing our mids with first hands on the ball in, um, in and around the ground. Um, I thought our backline as a unit was really good. Um, every time it came in, they rebounded it out quite quickly and cleanly, which uh, gave, again, us enough opportunity to score from rebound 50s. Um, our mids with Bianca Webb, uh, Gibbo inside, um, a no- number of the young kids um, as well. Stephanie Kane went inside um, from the wing and really provided us a lot and got in on the end of a few goals from our midfield group, which were fantastic. Our forwards were great again. Our young kids 
Uh, Mickey Hyde got um, got two goals for herself. Ebony Antonio was great and was a part of a number of scoring um, assists today. Um, so I thought overall our whole entire group were fantastic for, for four quarters and got a buy now this week um, leading into finals. So really looking forward to it and uh, we'll regroup this week and go again. Taking a look at scores from the UNSW Canberra first grade women's competition, the final round of the home and away season played over the weekend where the Eastlake Demons 10-13-73 defeated the Tuggeranong Hawks, no score. Quimbian Tigers 17-9-111 defeated the Ainsley Tricolors 1-2-8 while the Gungahlin Jets didn't get on the scoreboard as the Belconnen Magpies racked up 31-15-201. So we look ahead to finals action uh, on Saturday the 24th of August, 3.45pm at Allen over the major semi-final Quimbian Tigers versus the Belconnen Magpies while 3.45pm Sunday at Allensure Park, the Eastlake Demons versus the Ainsley Tricolors in the elimination semi-final. Joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival to take a look back at the final round of the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. It's great to have on the line Lauren Hodson. Lauren, how are you? Yeah, well, thanks, Peter. How are you? I'm feeling great because finals football is here in the AFL Sydney competition. And we finished the final round with the East Coast Eagles uh, putting on a clinic. 19-16-130 to the Inner West Magpies. It was donuts, no score. Yeah, look, putting on a clinic is uh, certainly a, a good way of describing it. Um, they had two players, the Eagles, that kicked six goals each in McGartland and Wilson. Uh, George Garnett kicked three of her own, Nang Zarika two and Del Magisu two. They um yeah, they, they were dominant from the start, um, kicking three goals one. Their best quarter was actually a third quarter where they kicked um six goals seven. So they they were just phenomenal right throughout. Um and I, I think this would have to put them in slight favoritism above the Warriors, um, going into finals. But uh look they just look unstoppable at the moment, Peter. A close one between the breakaways and the bats to round out their respective seasons. Uh, Newtown breakaways three five twenty three, just going down to the UTS bats four seven thirty one. Yeah, well, it looked like um, you know at one stage that the breakaways could have been in with a shot um, to to get their maiden win. Um, they were down for most of the game, but they made a bit of a comeback late in the fourth quarter, but just couldn't quite get there, Peter. Um, but look, they'd be pleased to finish on a, uh, well, I guess a tight contest for the season. Um, the goal kickers for the breakaways were Deegan, Briggs and Shearer, whilst the goal kickers for the bats were uh, Daly with two and then McCutcheon and, and Koo with one. So look, the, the bats would be happy to finish the season off with a win. And as I said, disappointing uh, season for the breakaways. Fourth and fifth spots came down to this game. The winner gets fourth spot. The loser, it's season over. The Southern Power were sitting in fourth, but they were gazumped by the UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs. The Doggies, 8-3-51, defeating the Southern Power, 4-5-29, to knock the Power out on percentage. Yeah, look, the Power started well. Um, they're up by eight points to nil at, at quarter time, but from there, the Bulldogs just went bang. And in that second quarter, Peter, the Bulldogs kicked five goals, three to Powers, uh, one goal. So they certainly made that break there and uh, were never headed after that. Um, the margin, I thought the game might have been a little bit closer and, and I think I did tip the Power in a close one. But um, look, the Bulldogs getting a few players back from um, 
GWS Giants, Judy certainly helped them. And uh, look, they've they've had some good form. It's probably been their um, best period the last few weeks. So um, look, they'll carry that into finals and uh, hopefully get an upset win. But yeah, disappointing um, finish to the season for Southern Power. And a perplexing final game at the home and away season between Macquarie University and the Sydney Uni Bombers. Not necessarily how tight the score was, it was how low the score was. Macquarie University 1-3-9, defeating Sydney Uni 1-2-8. Yeah, well, certainly wouldn't have picked it, as you said, to be so low scoring. Definitely a close game. Uh, the Bombers kicked their only goal in the first quarter, and Mac Uni kicked their only goal in the last quarter. So the game was bookended by the only two goals. Um, but yes, a very odd thing. Um, you know, had it been the week before where it was really windy conditions up in Sydney, it wouldn't have been too much of a surprise to be a, such a low scoring game. But look, it was a, a tight contest throughout. Um, the single goal kickers from Mac Unit was Amanda Faruja and from the Bombers it was Lara Kreber. But, um, as I said, there was nothing in it the whole game. And, uh, um, yeah, look, it'll be interesting to see how Mac Unit follow up in week one of finals off the back of, um, such a low-scoring contest. So that concludes the final round of the home and away season. And if I'm correct, do you actually have a bye before the finals roll around? Yeah, I think you might be right there, Peter. I think uh, Sydney AFL might have copied the AFL in, in having a bye round um, before finals. So a bit of a, a different move there. So we'll look forward to your company next week, Lauren, when we take a look forward towards the semi-finals in the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. Thanks for all your work throughout the home and away seasons thus far. Yeah, thanks, Peter. Looking forward to it. To the Tasmanian State League Women's Competition, Glenorchy 2016-136 defeated Lauderdale, no score. Tigers 5-5-35 defeated North Launceston 3-3-21, while Launceston 6-17-53 had a comfortable win over Clarence 1-3-9. To the final round of the Tasmanian State League Women's Competition this weekend, all games on Sunday the 25th of August, 12pm at Twin Ovals, Tigers versus Lauderdale, 12.30pm at KGV, Glenorchy versus Clarence, while 3pm at Windsor Park, it's Launceston versus North Launceston. We'll have more Women's Australian Rules football on RSN Carnival coming up right after this. We are the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation, striving to empower our most marginalised communities through literacy and education. Literacy is having a voice. Literacy is opportunity. Literacy is dreaming big. Literacy is freedom. Today, you can help end inequality and give every child access to our life-changing and proven literacy programs. Your support is vital. Donate now at alnf.org. On digital radio in Melbourne through RSN Carnival via the rsn.net.au website and the RSN Racing and Sport app, you're listening to Women's Australian Rules Football. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks so much for your company. And joining us on the line now here at RSN 927's Digital Radio Channel Carnival to take a look back at the second last round of the Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Competition. It's great to have on the line Matthew Cox. Coxie, how are you? Completely bamboozled, Pete, because not only have we got uh, a big round of footy, which has had a few implications on the, the top six, but what's coming up is... I'm still trying to get my head around who can move where, who needs to win what, who can't lose by too much when, and geez, it's it's confusing but enthralling the, the finish to the 2019 VFLW season. Well, when we preview the final round, we'll go through who's already survived, who can't make it, 
and who was skating on thin ice. But let's begin, first of all, uh, Saturday morning at 11am. It was our VFLW match of the day for Saturday. Carlton and Darabin, clearly two sides that can't make uh, the top six. An intriguing battle between 12th and 13th. And it was Carlton was the one that got the chocolates 4-5-29 to Darabin 2-9-21. With less scoring shots as well, four goals, five there. Uh, nine scoring shots to 11 the way the Falcons who were incredibly inaccurate particularly in the second term where they could have jumped out to a fairly handy margin but instead they they only put on uh, sorry they had one goal six at half time one goal two the way of Carlton so Carlton were just in the game um, only two behinds in the third quarter to the Darabin Falcons. The, the Blues were able to skip ahead and then didn't really look back from there. So a, a disappointing outing for, for Darabin in a match where, I think I said last week, I, I actually tipped Darabin. So it, it was a match that they could have won. They'll be disappointed that they were so inaccurate in front of goal because just looking at the score sheet, they could have had the game tucked away by half time. Um but they'll, they'll learn from that. They'll learn a lot of lessons from it. For Carlton, they'll be happy to finally get some uh, another W on the board because it's been a very lean year when it comes to on-field success from a win-loss ratio perspective. McKay kicked two goals. Craig and Gurr were the other two goal kickers for Carlton on the weekend for the Darabin Falcons, David and Kennedy were the two goal kickers. 55% of the time, it was in the hands of the Falcons. Uh, so again, not only were they inaccurate on the scoreboard, but they also had more of the footy. They also took seven more marks. Uh, they did have less hitouts, though, which is a curious stat for the Falcons, who are usually a very dominant in the ruck, 31 inside 50s to 24. So all the stats, uh, all the pivotal stats leaning the way of the Darabin Falcons, the, the leading possession getters on the ground. Uh, Stanton racked up 24 touches for the Falcons, uh, also had three tackles. Katie Loins was high up the stat sheet for the Blues with 22 touches on the weekend and 11 tackles, so an impressive performance for her. And uh, the reason why Darabin weren't dominant with the ruck hitouts was because it looks like Lauren Pierce didn't take to the field on the weekend. Yes, there was a slight injury concern around her and they thought it was best, uh, obviously, for AFLW commitments to call that season for her with only a couple of games to go and uh, make sure that she's uh, fresh and fully recovered and ready to go for AFLW 2020. Let's take a look at uh, the second game of the round and it's the one that had everyone scratching their head going, how on earth did this happen? The formerly top of the table, Collingwood Magpies, 3-4-22. The 11-game winning streaks come to an end. They lost to Essendon, 7-7-49. And puts to bed my theory last week that the game against GWS for the Magpies straightened them up and uh, gave them some good form heading into finals. This was not expected. Uh, understand that that potentially wrapped a few players in cotton wool, uh, particularly AFLW talent in preparation for their finals campaign. So that obviously had an impact in terms of the cattle that went out on the park. But you'd think even with that, that they'd still have enough to get the job done considering where they are situated on the ladder. Great result for the Bombers. They'll take a lot of confidence away from the victory. And overall, I think you can rate their season very, very Positively, They've had some great results, won games that they probably weren't expected to. They've been competitive in others and really pushed sides. And 
there have been a couple of drubbings here, there, and everywhere, but um, I think overall you can you can give the Bombers a tick, particularly from where they were 12 months ago. They were a side that, that just could not get a ball inside 50, could not take a mark inside 50, and therefore could not kick a goal. And at least now they are hitting the scoreboard. Seven goals, seven on the weekend, three goals for Collingwood. 54% of the time, it was in their hands for the Bombers. So, again, they were able to dominate most of the areas on the ground. 41 inside, 50 to 19. A very handy uh, advantage their way. 46 marks to 36 as well. So, a great performance from the Bombers. The Mateo kicked two goals. Patrikios continues her impressive form since stepping up to the VFLW from under-18 girls footy. She kicked two goals on the weekend. Fogus, Quigley and Stepnell were the other goal kickers, while for Collingwood it was Grant with two goals and Katie Lynch with one. The leading possession getters on the ground. Bunker was actually the leading possession getter for the Collingwood Magpies, uh, racking up 25 touches and laying three tackles, also took three marks. Nance Cohen, she's a name that we've mentioned multiple times in recent weeks as one of the leading possession getters on the ground for the Bombers. She racked up 21 touches, laid seven tackles, and Laura Ahearns uh, racked up 20 touches on the weekend as well. Cecilia McIntosh was fairly high with 18 touches, and Shay Audley racked up 16 touches as well to be amongst possession getters for the Bombers. So there's a few experienced players that are just guiding this Essendon side very nicely. I reckon it also now places a question mark over Collingwood and how you read them. I don't think any side in the top six, just branching out and digressing for a moment, but I don't think any side in the top six has stable form, which makes for an incredibly intriguing opening week of finals football. Well, two sides currently in the top six that we caught about five or six weeks ago in a close game at VU Witten Oval had a vastly different game at Punt Road on the weekend. Richmond 3-2-20, easily taken care of by the Bulldogs, 10-3-63. And if you go on recent form, the Bulldogs are probably the, the best performers, even though I, I still... I don't know why, but I just can't trust them. But they seem to be building nicely. They've got a lot of handy players back in the side. Just looking at their goal kicker list. Uh, Berry kicked two goals. Danny Marshall kicked two goals. Rennie kicked two goals. Lachlan kicked a goal. But the, the leading goal kicker on the ground is a very small forward from under-18 girls level. Represented Vic Metro and was very prominent in the week up on the Gold Coast uh, a month or so ago. Elizabeth Georgia Stathis kicked three goals on the weekend for the Western Bulldogs. They'd be very happy with that performance. For the Tigers, Colwell, Frederick and Woodward were their only goal kickers on the weekend. Really disappointing. When you look at it from a scoring shot perspective, 13 to 5. That is a demolition going inside 50 for the Western Bulldogs. The, the actual inside 50s, there wasn't too great of a difference. There were only six different in the end, 32 to 26. They're just more efficient going forward, the Western Bulldogs. Obviously, Richmond just having a bit of trouble controlling it. Uh, hitouts 43 to 36 in favour of the Tigers. Tackles went the other way. The Bulldogs 83, Richmond 69. There were more marks in favour of the Bulldogs by advantage 12. 
Um, and then they had more possession of the footy as well, 54% to 46. So all the, the key stats, again, leading the way of the Bulldogs. Hunt and Ferris were the leading possession getters on the ground for the Western Bulldogs. 20 touches for Hunt. Ferris with 19, and she also laid seven tackles. Monique Conti was the leading possession getter for Richmond with 18 touches and three tackles. Let me throw an interesting stat at you. In the all the six games that Danielle Marshall's played for the Western Bulldogs, including three at the start of the season and three most recently since she came back from the US, the Bulldogs haven't lost a game. I think she might be a World Cup start for round one in the AFLW too, just quietly, given what I saw from her earlier in the season when she didn't have a lot of conditioning for state league level football and she was just dominating and versatile. I thought with the more games that she got under her belt, and yes, she did miss most of the middle part of the season, but I thought that might die away or other teams might have been able to get on top, but she is a real barometer for that Western Bulldog side and straightens them up importantly, importantly in front of goal. Let's have a look at the game between the Casey Demons and the NT Thunder. Of course, we know how the Demons whacked the Thunder up there in Alice Springs and it was a repeat performance at Skybus Stadium in Frankston. Uh, the Demons 11-9-75, crushing the NT Thunder three straight 18. Accurately described there, Pete. This was a crushing. It was a mauling. It was whatever you want to call it, but it was pretty ordinary from the Northern Territory Thunder. Casey Demons, again, okay, it was a weaker opposition, but you almost have to ask the question, where has this been for most of the season? Because we know they've been competitive in games, but they haven't been able to get it on the scoreboard most matches. So to be able to fire this one out, uh, 20 scoring shots to three when you look at it from that perspective. That's, that's dominating the, the match going forward. 50 inside 50s to 11. So not incredibly efficient, um, but still able to get the score on the board, which has been one of their biggest issues. Again, yes, it, it is against a weaker opponent. We know the Northern Territory Thunder... Uh, aren't as strong of a side as what they once were, but, but still for, for Casey to win by the margin they did to dominate most of the stats the way they did um, as well. Again, you could probably take some confidence out of it, but you do have to ask, considering earlier in the season they were floating around the top end of the table, where it's been for the most of it, and it was also a pretty good way to finish their season because they have the bye in the final round and won't participate in finals. So a nice way to cap off 2019 um, with a performance like that. Hall kicked three goals, Downey two, Mithen two, Sheriff also kicked two, Hogg and Scott, the other two goal kickers, whilst Ponte kicked two for the Northern Territory Thunder and Killen, the other goal kicker for them. Mithen... Uh, dominated possessions, 35 touches her way, seven tackles, three marks. Lisa Roberts, the leading possession getter on the ground for the Northern Territory Thunder with 23 touches, uh, also took two marks and laid four tackles. So we go to Trevor Barker, Beach Oval and Sandringham was our VFL match of the day for Sunday. The Southern Saints, due to the result of Collingwood and Essendon, had the carrot of taking the top of the table if they had a victory. Hawthorne looking to stay inside the top six. And it was the Southern Saints, 7-9-51, defeating the Hawks, 3-6-24, in very windy conditions at Beach Oval. Yeah, it was, would have been a pretty ordinary day down there. Um, but again, the Southern Saints, they got the job done. Um, and it does put to bed my theory last week about 
Um, well, no, it doesn't, because I said the, the Southern Saints would be refreshed and raring to go for finals after their week off. So that's finally something that I actually got right in this segment. Uh, that they were just too good for for a Hawthorne side that is just going. I think would be a way of describing it. I, you, you were there, so you'll be able to give a much better picture, Pete. But I just. Looking at the score sheets from the last few weeks for the Hawthorne Footy Club, they haven't been dominant. I called for them to make a statement in this game. They weren't able to. In fact, the statement's probably gone the other way with the Southern Saints, who I feel would now be premiership favourites. The question is, can they sustain the form over a five-week period, including the final round, and then we head into finals? I just wonder, I have a question mark as to if they can do that or whether they will drop a game somewhere along the line, um, hopefully not too deep into September because then it'll be curtains. But um, to me, they seem to be at the moment one of the favourites for the Premiership this season. And, and Hawthorne, the opportunity to cement their spot inside the top six goes begging. And now they they do need results to not only go their way, um, they also need to win this weekend and they haven't got easy opposition, that's for sure. McWilliams t- kicked two goals for them on the weekend. Kelly, the other goal kicker. McCarthy kicked two. McDonald kicked two. Bahanna, Mackie and Shearlaw, the goal kickers for the Southern Saints. Um, stats, 41 inside, 50 to 25. The way of St Kilda, or the Southern Saints, I should say. Uh, hitouts were fairly even. Uh, tackles actually went two in favour of Hawthorne. Um, so everything apart from the inside 50s was fairly even uh, on Sunday. And the leading possession getters on the ground, Vesely, 19 touches, three tackles. Radden was the leading possession getter for the Hawks with 18. But keen for your thoughts on this, Pete, given that you were at the ground. Hawthorne struggled to come out of defence. That essentially was the story of the day. Uh, the wind was blowing towards the southern or sought in the goal ends of the ground at Trevor Barker Beach Oval, and they really struggled. They went with a long kick, and it was just being marked, particularly by the likes of O'Neill for the Southern Saints, who was just patrolling that 50-metre arc at half-forward flank and was just sending it back in every time. The Hawks just couldn't find a way to chip it small, chip it to the pocket, and then work their way out of trouble. They just found themselves bogged down in their own back half and that just allowed multiple opportunities for the Southern Saints. Which isn't really a characteristic of Hawthorne side of 12 months ago. They were very strategic and able to change the game up to suit that style and maintain position of the footy. It sounds like there might be just a little bit of pressure on their shoulders or perceived pressure that's causing them to just make some errors. Errors that, as I said, they weren't making 12 months ago. Well, you asked me last week, could Hawthorne win the Premiership? And I said no, and I stand by that. And again, it highlights the form on the weekend that I just cannot see them, how they've been tracking this year, of playing four weeks of consistent finals football to win that flag. They have not shown it. I'll throw the, the question at you going the other way. Can the Southern Saints do the, that for the final series? I'm not 100% confident that they can sustain form like this because generally they can get a bit of momentum, they get on a roll, but then they have a blip. And it's, I'm just wondering whether that might come during the month of September. If you look at the top three, the Saints, the Pies and the Bulldogs, I say the Saints are outgunned for power by the Bulldogs and the Pies. 
However, they have the superior coach, in my opinion, in Peter Searle. So it would be a case of if the superior sides, when it comes to talent, were to be outgunned, it'd be needing Pete Searle to bring out all the tricks that she's got in the book. And she's capable of it, as she's proven in the past. I think, yes, that from a, from a smarts perspective, I agree with that. But I just wonder whether they've got the endurance in the tank to be able to sustain it, particularly when pressure goes up a notch. Collingwood were there last year. The Western Bulldogs, if you think that this is still a VU Western Spurs side, this will be the first time that they've played finals at state league level for an incredibly long time. So if you still believe that there is that strong link between there, they, they should be up and about and ready to hit the finals humming. The Southern Saints uh, just, I mean, all sides are okay. When I, when I, I'm singling out the Southern Saints here purely because we're reviewing their game, but I think all sides, it's going to be the question. It's an extended final series this season compared to what we've had in recent years in the VFLW, which means you've got to put performances in and back it up for an extra week. And I'm just wondering whether whatever side is able to do that is going to win. They may not do that at 100%, but whichever can uh, remain consistent enough over the next month is the team that's going to win the premiership. And I think it could come from anywhere in the in the top six. And I'll just make a note before I look at that uh, final game of the round by saying the following. For the Western Bulldogs, who currently sit third and uh, are fighting for that spot still with Richmond, but uh, currently sitting third on the table, can't make the top two. It's worthy of mention that they do have that relationship where they're tied in with the VU Western Spurs. The VU Western Spurs have three sides and all of those three sides finished minor premiers in their respective divisions of the Northern Football Netball League. So you imagine that strong talent that is feeding through topping up their list and they've rested for most of the winter their AFLW list who are now starting to come back for finals. They are a serious threat. And, Pete, you've got, you've got the Bible of Victorian women's football. When would have been the last time the VU Western Spurs slash the St. Albans Spurs made an appearance in the Premier Division of the old VWFL? You are testing my memory here, but <laughs> I, I, I would say it's a good five or six years ago. They last won the flag in 2011 as the then VU St. Albans Spurs. Um, but I believe they haven't been in a final since I've been calling VWFL slash VFLW football since 2014. So it's in excess of half a decade. Well, there we go. We might have to put a call into Katie Lambeski to get the, the accurate dates. Let's have a look at that final <laughs> game of round 15. It was Williamstown and Geelong. It, it played out simply as this. Geelong needed to rack up a big win to help their percentage case in case all sides above them do win in the final round. Uh, they did win 8-4-52 to 1 straight 6. It did help their percentage, but probably not as by as much as they would have liked. No, and um, I just want to put it on the record that this tip didn't come up for me, for those that were tuning in last week, because the game was shifted away from down at Oval. So no home ground advantage for Williamstown. It took them out of the equation. Um, Geelong, I think it's, given the, the, the weather that we had on Sunday, we had a bit of everything, I think you can forgive the Cats for not getting as great of a margin as you would have thought. It would have been nice if they could have got a little bit more, but I think what they did was enough, um, particularly for where they currently sit percentage-wise on the ladder. The, the sides that they're, they're chasing at the moment, 
Um, I, like even with a with a bigger win than what they got, by you had four or so, so four or so goals onto that, and maybe they catch Hawthorne on percentage. Melbourne Universities is far superior, so I don't think they could have made too much bigger of a dent in that. Um, they did the best job they did. They they did what they needed to do, and I think that's for, for the Geelong side. They've just got to control what they can control and see what else happens. So they can't afford to lose this coming weekend. They couldn't afford to lose last weekend, and uh, they they performed strongly. Karras kicked two goals, as did Woolock. Love Maguire, Taylor, and Vanderhoevel were the other goal kickers for them. Strangely enough, at quarter time, it was all square. Uh, Gardner kicked the opening goal for Williamstown and it was one apiece at the quarter time break. Probably still a chance too at half time, Williamstown. Geelong only added another major to the scoreboard. It was after half time that they started to break away, adding on two goals, three, and then running away with it in the final term, four goals, one Williamstown not scoring beyond quarter time. So that's what's probably going to be disappointing for them, that they were there or thereabouts for most of the first half. Um, Geelong just able to break away in the second. Williamson for Williamstown was the leading possession getter on the weekend for them with 22 touches, also laid eight tackles. McDonald, Amy McDonald, for Geelong was the leading possession getter for them with 21 touches, laid five tackles and also took three marks. And Melbourne University with the bye, we should mention with Williamstown's loss, there is no possible way Williamstown can get off the bottom of the table. They will be taking the wooden spoon for the 2019 season. Uh, Also looking at the ladder at the moment, Carlton sit second last, but do have the possibility of going up to... uh, to third last, which would be 11th position, depending on results. He's currently sitting third last of the Darabin Falcons, fourth last the NT Thunder, fifth last or ninth position, Essendon. They can't go any higher. Uh, the Casey Demons will lock in eighth position to finish their season. So now it gets interesting with the top seven. The top two teams as we head into the final round look like this, Coxie. The Sullen Saints and Collingwood cannot be dislodged from the top two. They will play each other in the qualifying final. Coxie, it's just a question of... Who finishes top between these two sides for home ground advantage? Yeah, and I don't think that would make much difference, to be perfectly honest with you. I think both sides, whether they play at, at Trevor Barker or down at Frankston or it's played out of Victoria Park, I think all, th- all three of those grounds, both of those sides could, could play. So even that, you're not really getting any advantage there, uh, in my opinion from uh, finishing first on, on the ladder. So this weekend, it's just about reserving the cattle. I mean, it's a, it's a good test when you look at the draw for the Southern Saints, and you could put, also add into that category the, the Collingwood-Hawthorne game in terms of the, the, the yardstick for heading into the finals. But at the same time, you'd almost want to wrap some players up in cotton wool because they, they will play a qualifying final. They will get the second chance no matter what. So... Um, yeah, you, you almost go into this week and just fine-tuning and maybe testing the depth a little bit, just seeing if there's a player on the fringe that might be able to step up and take a role during the final series if they're required. 
So as we have a look at the remaining sides, the Western Bulldogs sit third as we speak. It's not locked away. They could slip to as low as fourth, depending if Richmond win or not. Uh, even if Richmond do win, a Bulldogs win or Bulldogs better percentage will lock them into third spot. So the Bulldogs will be playing finals football. Then we have fourth down to seventh. Richmond are fourth. They are half a win ahead of Hawthorne. Hawthorne are then half a win respectively ahead of the sixth placed Melbourne Uni and the seventh placed Geelong. And it works as simple as this as we go into this final round. Geelong are in seventh. They are the team outside on percentage from the top six due to their weaker percentage. First of all, if they lose, even if Melbourne Uni lose, if Geelong lose, they cannot get in barring a Melbourne Uni loss by 30 goals. That's not going to happen. So simple equation for Geelong. They must win to stay alive. They lose, season over, top six is locked away. Thanks for playing. Melbourne University sit in sixth position. If Geelong win, then Melbourne Uni must win to stay in. A loss to Melbourne Uni and Geelong win, Uni are out of the six, no finals football. Then we look at the fifth-placed Hawthorne Hawks, who are half a win ahead of Melbourne Uni and Geelong. If Hawthorne lose and both Melbourne Uni and Geelong win and they have winnable games, Hawthorne go out of the top six, no finals. Richmond do have a also tough final round game. If Richmond lose and Hawthorne win and Melbourne Uni and Geelong both win, then it comes down to percentage if Richmond stay in the top six. That is, if they have, say, a five or six goal loss and Geelong have a five or six goal win, the Tigers could slide from fourth to seventh. Coxie, that's how it plays out. No, I said off the top, I'm bamboozled and I'm bamboozled again. Um, and I'll give our listeners an opportunity, if you're listening via podcast, to pause rewind and replay that so you actually understand what the hell's going on. All I know is it's going to make for a cracking final round of footy and it's going to take every single game that features a top seven side uh, then will have an implication on where sides finish on the ladder. So we have to look at the, the final game of the round in round 16, which is Melbourne University and the Northern Territory Thunder, only at the end of that game, when the final siren sounds at Arden Street, will we know exactly where everyone is on the ladder. Um, and that's late Sunday afternoon. So this is going to be a cracking round of football. As you said, Geelong, they need to win. They need to do all they can do to control the situation. But, well, every side needs to do that to ensure safety. But when you look at the, the fact that Hawthorne well, take on Collingwood, I was going to say let's, that's that's a that's a fifty fifty game. They're all fifty fifty games. That's why I said let's go through one by one, so therefore everyone can lick their lips. Even interesting matchups of the sides that don't necessarily have a fact an effect on the finals. Uh, we've got at Windy Hill Saturday eleven a.m. Essendon versus Williamstown. A few weeks ago, you would have been arguing maybe this is the battle of the bottom two sides. Now this could be a victory lap for the Bombers up against a lowly Williamstown side. And there will be a big crowd in attendance actually at Windy Hill because this game is acting as a curtain raiser to the Essendon District Football League Women's Grand Finals. And so we'll have a massive support there, you'd think, from all the local faithful, even though it's probably the, the battle for the Northwest in many respects, given that Williamstown also have a lot of uh, local footy, more so from the Western Region Footy League, but it is sort of in that corridor vicinity. Um, 
These two sides played off only a few weeks ago, back in round 12. And on that day, it was 7-5-47, the Bombers defeating Williamstown 1-2-8. You'd be expecting a similar sort of result. Um, and just for a bit of, bit of fun, Pete, so if you look at the percentage of the Bombers compared to the Casey Demons, what would they need to kick to just lift themselves one extra spot above the ladder? Well, at the moment, their percentage, I think, is um, they've, they've kicked 395-4 and against 500, while Casey are in the positive, 497-4 to 435-4 against. So you're talking in the vicinity of about 28-29 uh, goal victory. Yeah, OK. Well, that's not happening, is it? <laughs> but it is going to be a big win. You'd have to see, unless Williamstown can pull something out. I, I think they're fatigued. I think they're tired. And, and that's been like that for a few weeks. They just haven't been as competitive on the scoreboard as what they were earlier in the season and throughout the mid part of it, um, which is disappointing for them. I know we've spoken numerous times um, in this segment that uh, they're just taking the small wins. I don't believe they've got too many of them in, in recent weeks, but hopefully they can finish the season with a positive and bounce into 2020 with some form for the Bombers. Well, they can't do much uh, more right heading into uh, 2020. I think they're setting themselves up very, very nicely for a crack at the top six next year. Saturday, 11.30am at Box Hill City Oval. This will be the video stream game on the VFL website. Hawthorne currently sitting fifth against the now second-placed Collingwood. This is a real 50-50 game. Part of the reason is it depends what what Hawthorne sides show up and, and which one we're going to get perform. Um, and it also depends on what sort of a side Collingwood put out onto the park. Do they, again, manage and rotate players through this final round given that they're assured of a top two spot no matter what, or do they roll the dice and pull players back in, AFLW talent back into the side to A, get a week under their belt before they hit finals, and B, have a good test against a side that's there or thereabouts when they do uh, hit their straps. So, intriguing, I'm probably, um, again, I'm not no coach or anything like that, but I get the feeling that they'll Collingwood will probably be tempted into managing players again purely because they do have uh, the, the double chance finishing up the top end of the, the ladder. So no matter what the result is in that opening week, they get a second crack at it. Um, for me, we, we said before, Hawthorne need to win to be able to secure their spot inside the top six. Um and if that's not much of an incentive for them, I don't know what is. Um, they need to win this one um, and win it comfortably to suggest that they are a genuine threat in the top six because I don't think they are at the moment. And I know uh, not too many people are going to look kindly on that statement, but their form has just been too inconsistent for me to consider them a genuine threat uh, in the final series. So unless they can pull out a, a strong performance on the weekend, uh, I'm tempted to say that they could just be making up the numbers in the top six if they do uh, scraping. 
and Collingwood would be playing dangerous games if they do manage their list because a loss to Hawthorne and keeping them in the finals, depending on Collingwood's path, they could meet again two weeks later in the semi-finals. And we know that last year Hawthorne got the Pies in the semi-finals, which would eventually send the Pies out in straight sets. So they don't want to relive that nightmare. Bill Laurie Oval, Saturday, 12pm. It's the Darabin Falcons versus the Western Bulldogs. It's a game that you'd think the Bulldogs would win, given the, the, the players that they've got assembled in that side at the moment. But throughout the season, these are the sorts of games that the Western Bulldogs have dropped. When they're playing opposition that are in lower positions on the ladder, they, they sometimes don't come fully switched on. Almost similar to Hawthorne, but not for the same extent. So I'm tipping the Bulldogs um, with a little bit of confidence, but it's just if, if they in turn, because of their uh, situation on the ladder, they can only drop down to fourth. Um, they they too could could think, well, we're not the the only thing that's going to change will be our opponents, and, and then we've got no real control over them. And I think they'd be quite comfortable no matter who they'd face. Um, so. They might play mind games in this game as well. The Darabin Falcons, they've finished the season fairly strongly considering where it started. For them, it was looking very bleak early on, but they've been okay in the last quarter or last third of the season. Um, and again, a, a side like Essendon that can take some uh, good momentum heading into 2020. So, uh, yeah, I think they should be able to put in a close contest this weekend, but the Bulldogs should get up. I think the big key for me is with the Darren Falcons, no Lauren Pierce is going to hurt them uh, up against the quality rucks that the Bulldogs do have. The last three games uh, of the VFL women's season, you will hear live on RSN Carnival 2, digital radio, WARFradio.com and the VFL app. They all have a say on the makeup of the top six. We begin Saturday, 11am as part of our doubleheader. Bounce down at 12pm at Trevor Barker Beach, Oval Sandringham. The top-placed Southern Saints versus the fourth-placed Richmond Tigers. And again, this, this is pure gut impression. It's, um, obviously, we don't have access to the selected teams because they don't come out until a Thursday. But I get the impression that the Southern Saints won't be managing their players. Despite their position on the ladder, they'll want to get as much confidence and as many miles into the legs of their cattle, their group of players uh, as much as they can. And against quality opposition, it doesn't get much better than, than an opportunity to get some good form, get some good confidence heading into September. So I'm going to lean the way of the Southern Saints. I think they can get the job done. Again, Richmond have just plateaued in the last couple of weeks. Uh, they, they seem to be climbing again after a, a little blip on the radar in, in the mid part of the season. They started building and now they've just they've levelled off again. And, and whether they can continue on the upward trajectory or they continue to just flatline um, that'll be the interesting thing to see. They should, in theory, push the Southern Saints, but if they don't, then they've got some worries going into September. We go to the second game as part of our double header. 1.45pm bounce down at GMHBA Stadium. The full game live on GoFooty.live. We'll be picking up the coverage from five minutes into the first quarter, immediately after the finish of the Saints versus Richmond game. This is Geelong versus 
Carlton. The scenario is simple. Geelong don't want to lose to Carlton. And when they do beat Carlton, which I believe they will, they need to start racking up a big victory in the vicinity of seven, eight or nine goals to really bring percentage into the equation as a security policy, considering what will happen with Melbourne Uni NT Thunder. These two sides played back in round eight, and it was the Cats 5-3-33 defeating Carlton 4-2-26. So even though the sides were looking a little different in terms of the talent that they had out on the park on that day, I get the sense that they match up against each other pretty well. So I don't think it's signed, sealed, and delivered yet for Geelong. I think Carlton could give them a run for the money. Again, though, like... Most sides in the VFLW this year, it depends what side turns up, A, in terms of the talent that runs out onto the park, but B, also the the overall attitude towards the game as well. If Carlton come in and, and go through the motions as they have had a tendency to throughout the season and not be competitive on the scoreboard, then I think Geelong should be able to run away with it. But if we get the Carlton side that's competitive, that's hungry, that's desperate, that we've seen and know can perform, then I think Geelong have a little battle on their hands to get themselves over the line. Be lucky that they're at home, although, again, I don't think that should make too much of a difference considering Carlton are also pretty used to playing at an AFLW standard venue. Um Uh, Geelong should get over the line, but I I think Carlton will push them. Finally, Sunday, 12pm bounce down. We'll be live on air from 11am, the final game of the season. It is a standalone Sunday game at Arden Street Oval in North Melbourne. It's Melbourne University taking on the NT Thunder. It's uh, this is probably the easiest game to tip, uh, apart from the Essendon-Williamstown uh, game and, and probably the Bulldogs-Darabin game as well. This, this one, Melbourne University, has the highest chance to win out of all of them. Um, unfortunately for the Northern Territory Thunder, they're, they're probably similar in a way to Williamstown. They're, they're tired. They're not really looking competitive on the scoreboard, which is which is a disappointing way to finish the season. Um, and, and coming up against Melbourne University, who, uh, again, have got a lot of their AFL talent, AFLW talent back in the side. They've obviously got the incentive that they need to win um, to, to make finals. Their, their percentage is healthy enough, so they just need to get the W on the board. And I feel that they're going to do that quite comfortably on the weekend. Having said all that, we know what happened in the final round last year between Melbourne University and Williamstown, but I do think this is a vastly different Muggers outfit. And given that they're playing on uh, Arden Street as well, not at Tin Alley as originally scheduled, um, that could draw Northern Territory in just a little bit of a firmer surface, making it easier to use their quick skill. So if we get a dry day, that could have an impact, but I don't think it's going to have too great impact on the result. I think Melbourne University will win no matter what. It'll just depend on how competitive the Northern Territory Thunder will be. It'll be interesting to see how the Muggers players react as well. Considering it's a standalone game, it could well and truly be that the side that needs Melbourne Uni to lose so they survive in the six could be there in numbers. Essentially, just standing on the sidelines, almost staring them down. Just adding that uh, adding that uh, visual pressure to Melbourne Uni that if you slip up, you're finished. 
And if an upset does occur at GMHBA Stadium on Saturday afternoon and Carlton do defeat Geelong, then it doesn't really matter, does it, what the result is for Melbourne University on the Sunday. So there could be a few late withdrawals managed, maybe, if they wanted to play that sort of a game as well. So, again, we we won't know uh, until until Sunday afternoon exactly what, uh, what the VFLW final series looks like and who finishes where exactly in the top six. And, of course, the Casey Demons having the bye. They finished their season last week against the NT Thunder. Coxie, thanks very much for joining us here on RSN Carnival, and we look forward to your company next week as we review the final round of the Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Competition. Yeah, it's going to be a cracking round of footy, Pete. We're really looking forward to it. So a massive weekend of VFL women's football happening on RSN Carnival 2, WARFradio.com and the VFL app this weekend. So tune in both days from 11am. Saturday, 11am, we kick off with the Southern Saints versus Richmond at Sandringham. Immediately at the final siren, we cross the GMHBA Stadium for Geelong versus Carlton. And then the game that finishes it all, Sunday, 11am at Arden Street Oval, Melbourne University versus the NT Thunder. RSN Carnival to WARFradio.com and the VFL app. And of course, we'll break down who made the finals on our midweek show next week, Wednesday evening, 6pm on RSN Carnival 1. And of course, via podcast at the rsn.net.au website, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts just by searching for Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks so much for your company and it's bye for now.